Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, the former Manchester City winger Trevor Sinclair and TalkSport's Alex Crook as Manchester City escaped from a war of attrition with Atleti only to have to square up with Liverpool again. Right-footed ball, flighted in and in from Diogo Jota. Another City-Liverpool game to look forward to. Chelsea went through 120 gruelling minutes and have now got to beat Palace to have any hope of winning silverware domestically this season. Tottenham and Arsenal have winnable games but can you trust Manchester United to beat Norwich Watford face Brentford in last gasp attempt to save themselves and Burnley have to go to West Ham so much to get through so much to discuss let's get into it it's the game day podcast from TalkSport this is game day and Tricky Trevor Sinclair is here. Hello, how are you? Very well, Sam. How are you? Do you know what? I did think uh, when I was watching uh, earlier in the week the Manchester City at Eddie game in the Wanda Metropolitano, I wonder if sort of like, you know, just randomly, Trevor Sinclair has been kicked tonight as well because seemingly everyone associated with Manchester City had been. Yeah, listen, it was, um, it was a bit of a throwback to the game. I thought um, Manchester City did really well in dealing with that and not reacting. Um I was really disappointed in the, the referee because I thought early doors when Phil Foden got headbutted in the back of the head um, and cut open, I thought that was 100% at least a yellow, uh, but no more than that. And that would have settled the game a little bit and protected the players' health. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen. And um, there's one thing that I wanted to on that night was two things. One, the referee to be strong and two, Manchester City to be strong with their mentality and not react. Manchester City did their part. The referee, I don't think, did his part to start with. Yeah, I agree with you on all of that. I thought, uh, actually, I was quite pleased that Manchester City just got the job done and uh, went through Mm. to the semi-finals. They'll play Real Madrid. Liverpool beat Benfica over two legs as well, but Chelsea went out. We'll get to all of those issues. Anything else caught your eye this week, away from the the main headlines, Crook, that has sort of, I don't know, piqued your interest? Uh, well, I guess the imminent appointment of Eric Ten Hag at Manchester United, we discussed it on last weekend's pod. Uh, a verbal agreement now has been reached for a, for a long-term contract. And w- what encourages me about this appointment very quickly is that, by all accounts, he's not the choice of the Manchester United players. Good, quite frankly. If, if the board are ignoring the, the pleas of the dressing room, maybe it's a sign that the pupils are no longer going to take over the classroom. So that actually gives me a bit more confidence you know, I've always been a, a Pochettino man. Let's hope Ten Hag is the right man to turn the club's fortunes around. But it's a big ask. OK, I wanted to talk a little bit about this. Shaka. 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 Yeah, I want to talk about Granite Xhaka, Mr. Loverman, who fell out of love with um, Arsenal Football Club. I was done with Arsenal. I was finished. There was a contract on the table from another club. All I had to do was sign. I'd talked with my wife. We'd decided to leave. I was just going to say goodbye to Mikel and we would board the plane. So he's done a big interview with the, um, <laughs> the, the, the the Players' Tribune, in which he says, it's not that the fans don't like me. No, it's different. This is hate, pure hate. Now, I completely understand his emotions, because actually when he goes into it, and the interview is quite revealing, and he talks about how much it hurt him. And listen, if you go back and look 
through his life and the stuff that he's had to go through in his life, where he came from and, and his, his backstory. You can understand why he takes these things to, to heart. But I just don't understand why you would bring it up right now. Doesn't it all it do sort of like disrupt everything for, for Arsenal once again? Especially when the Arsenal fans seem to have taken him somewhat back to their hearts. I think he's actually had quite an effective season, uh, particularly when he's played alongside Thomas Partey. So the timing is strange. Uh, and actually the cynic in me thinks, is this Granit Xhaka uh, trying to force his way out of the club this summer, having not got that move to Roma a, a year ago? What do you reckon, Trev? I can understand why he feels like that. Um, because basically his discipline's been poor. His consistency until, as uh, Crookie said, playing alongside Thomas Partey this season has been poor. Um, and you're going to you're gonna get difficult times if, if you keep on getting sent off for a football club. And, you know, you're supposed to be an experienced player in that quite young side, especially the forward players. And if you, if you can't stay on the field of play and you continue to show ill-discipline, the fans are going to fall out with you. So, you know, it's all right coming out with this interview and they're saying, listen, I want to, I want to, I want to be loved. I want to play well for the club. But I'm kind of looking in between the lines and thinking maybe something else is going on be- uh, behind the scenes because this season he has been good. He's been more consistent. He's, he, he has uh, built up that relationship with Thomas Partey. And I think he's, he is a good player. We've seen him when he plays for his national team. He's consistent. He plays well. He, he takes responsibility on the pitch. And he just needs to do that for Arsenal. And if he does that, and maybe a couple of interviews here and there, just saying how he wants to do well for the football club, how uh, that you know he, he don't. I, I'm not one of them for apologising. You know, apologise for this, apologise for that. Just let your football do the talking. And if he does that, I think he's got a future at Arsenal. But whether he wants that or not, I'm not so sure after this interview. One of the things I thought that really struck me from the Players' Tribune interview was the fact that he was saying the only reason that he was still there was Mikel Arteta. You know, Arteta basically saved his Arsenal career. So, I mean, look, I mean, he obviously trusts the process. <laughs> it's, it's still an interesting one when it comes to Mikel Arteta and, and his relationship with the players, because from what I understand, there are some players who absolutely adore him. And, and maybe now we can put Granit Xhaka in that bracket. But obviously you look at the uh, Aubameyang situation. I think Nicola Pepe came out before the Ivory Coast played against England and mentioned there was a language barrier between him and Arteta. So I think he is very much that type of character. You're either... Arteta in and therefore you do trust the process or you're Arteta out and you clearly don't. Okay, uh, well certainly uh, both Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp are in the Champions League. They want to stay in the FA Cup. So do Chelsea, they have to. Should we look at the FA Cup semi-finals? The FA Cup, the original and the best. Simicas on the uh, corner of the box, right footed ball flighted in and in from Diogo Jota. Seven-time winners of this competition, but haven't won it for 16 years. First Foden, and now Mares, and they are heading to Wembley with a swagger. 4-1. This competition is, is so special. Massive competition, massive competition. ZSU motors up towards the edge of the penalty, it cuts in left, but it drives the ball goalwards, and brilliantly past the goalkeeper with a fizzing effort. You know the words uh, Wembley <laughs> for sure and, and uh, the words FA Cup. And of course as a manager you know you just want to do well in every competition like the FA Cup. It will be a, a dream come true I will say it. Crystal Palace are back at Wembley in an FA Cup semi-final. This is a competition that makes heroes. Let's start with the game at 3.30 on Saturday afternoon. Yes, 3.30. Do not adjust your radios. It is a game that is kicking off at 3.30 on a Saturday afternoon. Very odd, but it's to do with the fact that Manchester City's women's team are playing a little bit earlier and the fact that there's travel disruption over the the weekend and the FA have lifted a blackout as a result of that. There are three other Premier League games and we'll keep you in touch with all of it on TalkSport. Trevor and I will be live at Manchester City versus Liverpool alongside Ray House and for commentary live on TalkSport of the FA Cup semi-final between Manchester City and Liverpool and it's unlikely to be as chaotic as either of the quarter-final second legs were in in midweek in terms of goals and you know action uh, in the Liverpool one and ill-discipline in the Manchester City one. You'd certainly hope the referee can take greater control of the game but it may be a chance for Liverpool to take advantage Trevor in what is sure to be a, a City side that after a tiring grafting draw in Madrid in midweek will make a number of changes. Yeah, they'll have to. Um, it, I mean, it was it, it was a horrendous game for the players to be involved in, physically, mentally. Um, and you look at the ease 
I, I know it was 3-3, but you look at the ease in which Liverpool got through that quarterfinals, the, the, the amount of players, key players that they rested. Yeah. On top of that, you look at Kevin De Bruyne had to come off with a slight injury. Foden um, has had his head cut open. Walker. He was getting kicked from pillar to post. Kyle Walker is a big one because obviously with his pace at the back, he's, he's so integral and he's just back as well. So that's a big blow for Manchester City. I hope it's not a, a, an ankle injury that's going to keep him out for a long time. But you, listen, I think you have to put Liverpool as favourites. I know you can bring Jack Grealish into the side. I know you can bring um, other players into the side, um, Sterling into the side who didn't play a lot of football last night. But still, the way that Liverpool have recruited, again, you go back to, you know, being doing your due diligence and learning from your mistakes. I think Jurgen Klopp's done brilliant with Liverpool. And I think they've put them in a position now where it's the business end of the season and they've got a vast squad to choose from. Yeah, Liverpool were able to rest the frontline attackers, but expect them to be back for Saturday's game. As Trevor said, that will give them a little bit of an advantage. Both sets of fans are absolutely cheesed off by the fact that this is at Wembley. Does that have a little bit of a, an impact or is it forgotten as soon as the whistle goes? I think it'll be forgotten as soon as the whistle blows, but I do think uh, there is a cause here for maybe reversing to the old system where FA Cup semi-finals were played at places like Villa Park. It, Who's going to pay the bill for Wembley? Exactly. Then? It probably won't happen because of the, the, the financial Finances, yeah. implications. But I, I do understand the supporters' frustrations. It just needs more planning. Mm. You know, if you know there's an FA Cup semi-final taking place this weekend, you need to be in contact with the with the rail authorities and make sure there's enough public transport to get the supporters safely to the ground. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, a secret. I mean, for example, Trevor and I booked our hotels probably about two months ago because you know what, there was an FA Cup semi-final this weekend. I'm doing both of them, one for the TV, one for the radio. So I knew I was going to be there the whole weekend. So I took, I took mm. precautions. But, you know, surely the, the, the idea of the travel companies not thinking that through is a massive implication. It, or if you are going to insist, I mean, I know the FA have laid on 150 buses, is that right? Um, yeah. I, I do think, even, even if you are going to, to do such provisions, you've got to come up with some bulk way of transporting people, even if it's like a special train that comes from the yeah. Northwest. It, I mean, it won't take that much. There's not that many people coming down. Well, I think it's the tracks that are getting worked on. So there's no train service. Um, I was on the train yesterday coming up from... Uh, the Jim White and uh, Simon Jordan show back to Manchester and we was now delayed um, doing the Manchester City um, Atletico game from the Etihad for Manchester City TV. And it's one of them where the FA knew about this a year ago. They were told about this a year ago. So, right, fair enough. You don't want to lose the game uh, at Wembley. You want to keep the game at Wembley for financial reasons. We understand that. But seriously, you have to find a solution for the fans to travel down from the northwest of England and yeah. get to the stadium. Or don't host it on Easter weekend, you know, do it the <sighs> week before. I mean, that does, does that make more uh, more sense? I don't know. Anyway, Manchester City took the lead twice in the game that these two played last weekend, which was a thrilling game. I mean, can, wow. you, can we possibly, can we possibly have the same sort of spectacle at Wembley on Saturday? I think it'd be asking a lot. Um, especially given Manchester City and their exertions in midweek. Uh, I agree with the Trevor. I think it's a great opportunity uh, for Liverpool to book their place in a cup final when you look at the fact they left Fabinho, Van Dijk, Mane, Salah all on the bench um, in midweek. And obviously that was the advantage. They pretty much uh, knew they were going to qualify for the semi-finals in Europe after the first leg. But this is the second part of what I think will be a brilliant trilogy because I think it will be Manchester City against Liverpool in the Champions League final. And at the moment, I would give Liverpool the edge in the FA Cup. I think City are favourites in the Premier League. The Champions League is anybody's guess. 26 mm. goals in the last seven meetings in the league between these two. Are we expecting goals again, Trevor? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, you just look at the quality of the forward lines, um, the creative midfielders that you've got on the pitch. I think we had a, a little um, preview to what this could be like um, at the Etihad. You know, the quality that was on show... Um, it, you know, it was, it was quite refreshing because usually you get these games and it's built up to be the you know big blockbuster game and it ends up being zip zip and it's a bore, yeah. uh, boring draw. But these and two can't was, help it, can they? They have to punch each other. They but this to. is why we love these teams. You know, you know, even Manchester City, even though they play completely different football, you know, Manchester City very uh, possession based. Um, you know, quite in, intrinsic with the movements and repetitive with the patterns of play. But then you look at, uh, but they also get the job done. And, and, and at times they overwhelm teams and beat them four, five, six nil. They did change Whereas, their approach slightly on Sunday though, didn't they? 
Yeah, I think they were quite prepared. You know, after having a little look at, Man- at Liverpool, they were quite prepared to go toe-to-toe, which I think confidence-wise for the players to w- twice take the lead and to, you know, be quite unfortunate not to win that game. I think that'll give them a lot of confidence. But again, you talk about the fatigue from the games that they've played. I know uh, that Liverpool have had a, a really difficult run as well leading into this semi-final, but you look at the game on Tuesday night, they've had 24 hours more to rest. They had a much more simple or simplistic route through to the semi-finals of the Champions League and they've rested players. City on the other hand have had injuries. They've had a really difficult tie where they've been battered from pillar to post through a very physical Atletico side. And um, everything in me, um, apart from my heart, points to a Liverpool victory. This is a little bit like the rivalry itself, isn't it? This sort of analysis from Trevor. It's all a bit passive-aggressive, but not properly aggressive. So you sort of like, you, you sit on the sidelines saying, oh yeah, but they've had this and we've had that. And you know, I did this and I did that. But when it comes down to it, no one wants to really have a go at each other. And in the end, you all just sort of hug on the touchline. Does that stop it from being a proper rivalry or is that just 2022, Crook? Well, it wasn't 2022 when you look at the Atletico game in, in midweek. Uh, that was very much uh, 1980s and early 1990s. But I'm talking specifically uh, about Liverpool, Klopp, yeah. Guardiola, Man City. I, I would prefer a bit more disrespect, to be honest. I think they're a bit too nice to each other when you see Klopp and Guardiola hugging on the touchline after a, a 2-2 draw. I mean, it's been said that this is the, the, the biggest rivalry in the Premier League era because you've got the two best managers with the two best teams. I think Sir Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger in the late 1990s would have an awful lot to say about that. And the pure hatred uh, between those two managers, those two sets of players uh, and those two football clubs, for me, gives that the edge. Are they just a little bit cleverer, Klopp and uh, Guardiola, about the way they go about their mind games? So that when they do it, they do it in such a way that it sounds like they're being really... I mean, if you ever meet Pep Guardiola, he's the most sarcastic bloke you've ever met in your entire life. I I think they're more sophisticated. I think the coaches are, are, are more prepared, obviously, with the data and the analysis analysis they've got at their fingertips they can do so much more they understand how the players are feeling whether they're in the red zone whether they can play 90 minutes well I think there's a lot more detail and that's why I don't think you get the rhetoric where you've got this hostility towards each other because I think it's a lot more controlled now you know you go into games and you know I use Pepper as a, as, as a uh, instance he loves to control games by you know even when he's got the ball sometimes he's defending He's just taking the sting out of the game, just taking the edge off the game. And listen, it might not be as exciting. Passive aggressive. It might not be as exciting for the fans, but I love it. And I think this is an evolution of the game. Do you know what? I really hope this weekend six players get sent off. (laughs) (laughs) Right, let's move on uh, because Chelsea take on Crystal Palace in the second semi-final, 4.30 on Sunday. This is live on TalkSport as well. It was a draining experience in midweek for Chelsea who battered Real Madrid for large parts of the game on Tuesday. Crook was there. Uh, What sense have you got as the week has gone on, Crook, that they are going to be able to shrug off the fatigue the mental and physical fatigue, because it's a bit of both, isn't it? Yeah. And try and fight for the one remaining trophy that they can feasibly lift. Uh, I think that's the key point that you made right at the end there, that this is Chelsea's season now, that they're not going to challenge for the Premier League. Clearly, they're not going to defend the Champions League. So if it's to be deemed anywhere near a successful season, they have to win the FA Cup. And, and that might just give them the edge. As you know, when this draw was made, I was touting that Crystal Palace and Patrick Vieira could pull off an upset. I still believe there's a chance... Um, because physically and mentally it will have taken its toll on Tuesday night. At the end of the game, I took a picture and posted it on my my Twitter feed. Players from both sides just collapsed on their knees. It was a heroic effort from Chelsea. It was a tremendous privilege uh, to be in the burn of our first time that I've uh, attended such an iconic arena and what a game to watch and what a performance from Chelsea. I I guess the frustration, as has been said numerous times since, is that They basically lost the tie in the first leg because if they'd have played anywhere near as well as they did uh, in Madrid, it would have been a no contest. But they've got to rally themselves. They they have to go again. They've they've got players that can come in that didn't start the game in midweek. I think we'll know where Chelsea's mind is at in the first 10, 15 minutes. If they start the game sharply, you would expect them to go on and win. If they start on the on the back foot, look a bit lethargic, then, then maybe it's an opportunity for Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace were ripped apart by Chelsea on the opening day of the season, Trevor. Naive, undercooked, not ready for the season, but at Selhurst Park in February when these two met, just a couple of weeks ago, really, Chelsea required a very late Hakim Ziyech goal to win the second encounter with Crystal Palace. Are we expecting it to be as competitive and tight and low scoring as that, do you think? I think so, yeah. I think you've got a, a fresh uh, Crystal Palace side. 
Um, you've got a, a Crystal Palace side that have had a lot longer to work uh, under the stewardship of, of Patrick Vieira. Um, a lot more competent, a lot more confident, a lot more understanding of what their requirements are and roles are in the team within that shape and formation. Um, I think Conor, Conor Gallagher is a, is a shame. I understand why Chelsea have done that because he's a threat. Um, the goals that he scored, the assists, the, the way that he affects games, he's now a full international um, and had a fantastic, real fantastic breakthrough season for me. Um, we've seen him at West Brom, we've seen that other clubs do okay, but this season at Crystal Palace, I think he's just gone to another level and he probably will be thinking in the summer, I could go back, especially in that first leg against Real Madrid. Um, someone like Conor, uh, Conor Gallagher would have been very, very important because his work rate off the ball is superb. Well, that's where it was lost in the, first, in the first leg, wasn't it? In the midfield. That was where it was Absolutely. lost. Well, and that's what we've been that saying game, all you know? season. Yeah. That's where the blend isn't right for Chelsea. Going back, listen, you have to look at the manager. He had a difficult time. There was a few things released in the press about his private life. I think he got it completely wrong with his formation. When you've got Casemiro, Modric uh, and Cruz in the middle of the park, and you play two players against them, you're going to have problems because not only the, the, the top players anyway in their own right, but as a three against two in a huge area of the pitch where you're playing with a three, four, three and wing backs. Why wasn't in-game formation change made? Then you look at the manager and you think maybe there was other things going on and he probably wasn't, didn't have his finger so, completely on the pulse. So for this game, Gallagher's absence <clears throat> actually helps Chelsea, does it? Because that blend in midfield will be massively different. Well, basically... It, Crystal Palace aren't, um, aren't Real Madrid. They've not got that quality of player. Um, and, you know, whatever formation um, Patrick Vieira puts his Crystal Palace side out at, I think that Chelsea have got the, the nous, they've got the experience, they've got the quality to be able to adapt and nullify what Crystal Palace have got and then go the other way and, and, and be too good for Crystal Palace. But we will see because it is a semi-final, it is at Wembley. And, uh, you know, some of, for some of the Crystal Palace players, or a lot of them, this will be the biggest game that they've played and uh, they might rise to the occasion. And we all know they've got individual players that can change the game in the final third. So really intriguing game, but I expect Chelsea to be too strong, even though they played 124 minutes against Real Madrid. Yeah, just on that, in, in terms of motivation, we interviewed uh, Wilfred Zaha for the boot room uh, quite early in the season and I actually put to him uh, the prospect of going on a cup run and maybe delivering some silverware for his boyhood club and he was quite excited by the task. I would expect him to be uh, one of the most pumped up Crystal Palace players. He's quietly had a very good season, 11 goals, plenty of assists as well. So uh, I think stopping him will be key to Chelsea's game plan. How do they do that? Because Rhys James looked absolutely out on his feet against Vinicius the other night. And you, you look at... Who played very well, actually. He, he played very game. well, but just in the, the last minutes of normal time, I thought he was really fading. And, and that's where Vinicius um, came in, got in on that left-hand side, delivered the cross. And also, if he's not going to play right back or right wing back, can you trust Cesar Aspilicueta to be able to do a job? And I know he's rested and he's fresh. Will he be able to do a job on Zaha? So that could be an area where you look at matchups and that could be a place where Crystal Palace could have a lot of joy. That is interesting. And I remember uh, Cesar Aspilicueta in a cup final against uh, Arsenal getting uh, run ragged in the first 10 minutes and ended up having to go off with a hamstring injury as a result of that. And Chelsea's games at Wembley actually are usually quite tight. Those big showpieces occasion. You go back to the Champions League final, the semi-final of the FA Cup last year, the final of the FA Cup, all separated by just like solitary goals. I think they beat uh, City in the semi-final 1-0. They lost 1-0 against Leicester in the in the final. And the, the big showpiece in Porto was divided by just one goal. So it might be quite a tight match. And I do think fatigue will come into it. I mean, this will be Chelsea's 55th game of the season. No team in Europe mm. has played more games uh, than Chelsea so far this campaign. And Palace, it's only going to be their 37th game of the, the campaign. So there's a big difference in terms of the, the amount of work rate, but also, I suppose, a big difference in the number of players in the squad uh, too. Tyreek Mitchell is, is a doubt, but there is an outside chance that Michael Elise, injured in the French under-21 uh, squad, might make a return at the weekend. Having their key players available is going to be important for Crystal Palace and Patrick Vieira because, like we just said, the, the squad differential is massive and there are only one or two superstars and stalwarts in that Palace team as opposed to the opposite at Chelsea. And Elise will be key. You know, I think getting him fit, particularly with O'Gallagher in midfield, that would be a massive boost for Crystal Palace. I think if he's even... 85% fit, I would imagine they will take a chance on him because as much as this is Chelsea's season, this is Crystal Palace's season as well. Yes, they can still finish uh, in the top half of the table. That highest ever Premier League finish is within their grasp. But Patrick Vieira, from his playing career, is a winner. You know, it's all about building up trophies on the mantelpiece. That they're probably 
they're probably ahead of schedule. I think you have to give him credit for how quickly he's been able to come and, and put his ideas across and transform the playing style. He'll see this as a, a brilliant opportunity. He will have Palace right up for this game. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Kulosevsky continues here. He pulls it all the way back to Son with a shot. It is four. It is exhibition stuff from Tottenham. For sure, we are in, in the race for our place in Champions League. Uh, and, not, and not because we are lucky. And at the moment, they're running away with a place in the top four. Aston Villa nil, Tottenham Hotspur three. They're in pole position now. They're, they're probably massive odds on favourite now to get top four. Oh, yes! Enoch and Webu! It's 2-0 to Brighton! From our perspective, you've got to look, try and look forward, try and look at our own performance, try and get points, try to look at it that way. The race for fourth place. Tottenham against Brighton is our 12.30 kickoff on game day, and after striking a blow to Arsenal's top four hopes, Brighton look to do the same to Tottenham. But that doesn't sound like something the Seagulls have the ability to do, Trevor. Yeah, I mean, listen, from a football perspective and a style perspective, um, I think they've had a lot of possession and they've played some really good football this season. It's just when they get into that final third, they don't seem to have the finishing touch. Um, too inconsistent, don't score enough goals. Uh, and they drop points because of that. Because if I think if they had a, an, a, an out-and-out striker who's you know, in front of goal, he finds the back of the net, I think they'd be this way... Is, that's, not, that's not true, though, is it? Really? I mean, because Mopé, how many goals has Mopé got this season? Yeah, but I think... You know, he's probably got double figures or nearly 10, 10 goals this season. Yeah, but you look at their XG. Yeah, he's so the only player. He's the only player who, do, who, who has got any exactly, kind of... Exactly, that's the issue, isn't it? It's not, it's not the fact it's they need someone else. who scores double figures. Else. They need yeah. everybody to start contributing, don't they? Because uh, yeah, ultimately, uh, for a mid-table bottom half team... Brighton have got someone who does actually score quite a few goals, really, in comparison to the other strikers in the league, because actually there's not many strikers in the league, even at the very top teams, that have got the same level of goals that he has. But ultimately, nobody else contributes. It's goals from midfield is the problem. I think Leandro Trossard is a fantastic player to watch, but at times doesn't necessarily generate the numbers that that maybe you think he should. Uh, Adam Lallana when he's fit, hasn't really contributed in terms of goals and assists. Alexis McAllister, again, a pretty player, but doesn't really know where the back of the net is. Ibasuma can score spectacular goals, but not enough. And I think at the moment, if you're asking why is Ibasuma still at Brighton, why have a bigger club not taken a chance on him, maybe that lack of a goal threat is, is a problem. So uh, it, it's certainly 
something that ha- that Graham Potter has to solve, but they've been trying to solve it really ever since they got into the Premier League. They were heavily reliant on Glenn Murray when they first became a Premier League club. And goals from centre-half. Lewis Dunk is, is more than capable of finding the back of the net. Webster's chipped in this season as well. But it's that midfield area. I think you're right, Sam. It's, it's uh, as big, if not more, of a problem than actually who leads the line up front. Trevor, mm. tactically, this is a great game for Tottenham, isn't it? Because they know that Graham Potter's team will want possession of the ball, will want to keep yeah. possession of the ball. And, and Tottenham yeah. will be quite happy to sit back, allow them to do so, and then strike. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen them do it to, to many teams. Um, and, and, you know, they do it superbly well. Obviously, Harry Kane is coming to unbelievable form, not just goal scoring, because he has scored a, a f- quite a few goals this season, but certainly his link-up play, his passing range has been exemplary. And uh, the movement, and you, you look at the balance of the side and, you, you know, when you look at sides and you think, yeah, this is how this side plays. This is how this, we know how Tottenham play. They like to sit a little bit deeper, soak up a little bit of pressure. And then when they win the ball back on transition, they're absolutely brilliant. Harry Kane getting the ball into his feet, his strength, his awareness, his passing range. And then runners, you know, there's got to be, to, to make it, make their shape and make their pattern of play, patterns of play work, there's got to be willing runners off the ball. And they've got that in abundance. Son's been outstanding. You know, Kulisewski's been superb. And they, they you've got, you have to give credit to Antonio because he seems to have found the right players in this shape to execute it at Premier League standard. I wasn't sure Tottenham had this in the locker uh, earlier on in the season, but again, credit to the manager. He knows what he, he knows how his team looks and plays and he's starting to it's starting to execute that superbly well on the pitch. We were talking about this in Madrid, actually, uh, myself and some of the written journalists. And what Tottenham have got now is, is a spine because I think Romero is, is going to be a, a very good Premier League defender. Obviously, he missed a lot of games due to injury and international duty at the start of the season, but he's going to be key to their development moving forward. Uh, I think Benton Kerr has settled into midfield. I love Kulisewski. You've got Kane and Son. It's not going to take much to transform Tottenham into, into a team who, at the very least, you expect to finish in the top four. And that wasn't the case before Antonio Conte took over. If Antonio Conte's COVID diagnosis robs Spurs of his presence on the touchline, and we don't think it do, actually, this morning, I think we, we sort of found out that he's probably going to be there on Sunday. That, that makes a massive difference, doesn't it? Because he's essential to sort of keeping them on the bridle, Trevor. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think so. But I think... You, they're, they're in such a, a rich vein of form and they've got leaders throughout that side. You know, there's a few, you can see there's the sense there's a few captains, especially down the spine of that side. I think, you know, and you've got honest players as well um, in Son and, 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 you know, players of that elk. I think they'll be fine. And obviously he's got a coaching staff. The coaching staff are there on the training facility every day. They also know um, how to execute a game plan against uh, Brighton. They'll be working on it. They've not had any games to deal with this week. So it's been a full week of preparation, even though the, the manager might not have been there. Um, he would have got his coaching staff uh, in, in line, told him what to do, told him what to execute. And the players will be very, very prepared for this game. Southampton against Arsenal is 3pm on Saturday. So by the time that Arsenal play, they could be six points behind Tottenham Hotspur in the Premier League table, which might add extra pressure, bearing in mind the need to look for a bit of redemption after defeat to Brighton and Crystal Palace. And uh, I suppose Southampton are looking for a bit of redemption as well, Crook, aren't they, after yet another mauling? Yeah, but I think if there's one team that you'd want to fancy playing against in the Premier League when you really need a result at this moment in time, it it would be Southampton. I think their season ended uh, when they were dumped out of the FA Cup by Manchester City. They're on a a poor run. Is it six games now, I think, without a victory in that 6-0 hammering at home by Chelsea? So Seven matches without a clean sheet. If Arsenal have anything about them, if they're anywhere near uh, the type of form that they produced, for example, when they went to Aston Villa and won impressively by a goal to nil, they will win this game. Um, I think this is all about Arsenal. It's about their attitude. It's about their mentality. Obviously, they've still got uh, key absentees, but Southampton are there for the taking. Goals are a bit of an issue for Arsenal, though, Trevor, aren't they? And they have been for a while. Only scored four times in the last five matches, and actually they failed to score in six of the last 13 games in all competitions. Mm. How do you solve that? Better man management with your star striker, I would say. Uh, but that ship has sailed and you've seen what Aubameyang's doing over in Barcelona. Um, it's a problem. You know, Lacazette is an honest player. I think he gives everything. He's a 100% player. Um, but he's not clinical and he's not a goal scorer. He's not a player that you're going to say he's going to score me 15, 20 goals a season. I think he, he's less than that. He's a good link-up player. 
Um, again, similar to Brighton, midfielders have got to chip in more. They've got to be more clinical from set pieces. You've got to get a few goals from the defenders as well. Um, and I'm sure they're looking at all these this data and looking at all these stats and thinking, how can we get more goals out of this team? Um, but it is a problem. And, it, you know, if you want to go for the top four spot in the Premier League, not scoring in six out your last, what, 12, 13 games, it's not going to happen. So they need to find a solution for this, um, whether that's more out to win runs from the wingers, covering that far post when the ball comes in at the uh, from the other side. All these little intricate things, which are fundamentals of the game, you have to do them better and you have to do them consistently. Um, the other team that vying for fourth place apparently are Manchester United. The idea of finishing in the top four uh, seems to have evaporated like the hopes of Ralph Ranick being involved in anything other than a ceremonial role at Old Trafford next season. Um, so what exactly are Manchester United fighting for, Crook? Pride, uh, but there's not been much of that on show in recent weeks. I think the players now will be aware uh, that Ten Hag is incoming and therefore will be monitoring their performances between now and the end of the season. So hopefully that will give performances a lift. I don't think Manchester United are quite bad enough to lose at home to Norwich, <laughs> but I wouldn't rule it out. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Everybody stop. Let's just have a quick reminder of what Crookie said on last Sunday's podcast. Here it is. No, they can't, but it's not going to happen. I mean, listen, I wouldn't back United to beat them. I, I don't describe... If any- United lose to Norwich, I give up. Well, you said you've given up about five times. No, but I'll quit. I'll get another job. I'll become a road sweeper or something like that. Oh, come on, Norwich! <laughs> There's no disrespect to road sweepers, by the way. They do a tremendous job. (laughs) And get a haircut the same as Trevor Sinclair. (laughs) (laughs) That could be an added facet that we throw in as well. So so you're going to retire and become a refuse worker if um, Norwich beat Manchester United. So me and Trevor have actually ordered Norwich shirts for the weekend, which we'll be wearing at Wembley because we're so excited about the prospect. A bald refuge worker, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, He's got to shave his head as well. Is that your new stipulation? Absolutely. Listen, I was at the Everton game and Manchester United, were, we, we, apart from the, probably the opening 10, yeah. 15 minutes, it was a chronic performance um, from the first whistle, well, from 15 minutes in to the last whistle and going up the tunnel. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how much we want to talk about that. But, you know, I think there's too many shrinking violets in that Manchester United team. Players that when the pressure's on, and listen, I've played for Manchester City, I've played for Wester it's not the same pressure at the clubs that I was playing for as it is at Manchester United, the expectancy at Manchester United. I remember speaking to Andy Cole when he first went there from Newcastle, good friend of mine, we went to school together, me and Ander, and he said it nearly broke him. And he ended up being an, a legend at Manchester United. So if you've got quality like Andy Cole and other players who've not really been able to forge a future and, and forge a career at Manchester United, a lot of these Manchester United players are going to fall under that. And I feel... Not only are you playing for your future at Manchester United, I don't know whether many of them want to fight for that future at Manchester United. And that's the bigger question. Coley's got uh, five Premier League winners medals. I mean, the idea of any player in that Manchester United squad picking up five Premier League winners medals seems fanciful now, doesn't it? Um, Because they've won just three of their last 11 games in all competitions, Crook. And and the frustration being that it wouldn't have taken much to turn to turn the Everton game into a positive result if they had anything about them in terms of character and mentality they'd have won the game at Goodison Park they'd have beaten Leicester at home and then we would be talking seriously about Manchester United being top four contenders I think that's a pretty poor reflection um, on where Arsenal and Tottenham have, have been to this point but, but they should be in the hunt and the fact they're not is because they've just let their professional standards slip to such a low level. No, it's not necessarily about quality. There's enough quality in this Manchester United team to be winning games at Everton and beating Norwich at home. It's, it's a mentality issue and it has been for much you say season. You say it's a mentality issue, Crookie. I, I disagree with that. Come I on, Trev. I sent I you a note during the game on Saturday and we both looked at each other and I mean, you couldn't read my handwriting, but actually what it said was is that we both thought Paul Pogba was doing his level best to get sent off after coming on the, on, onto the onto I, I the understand that. I understand that. That's one player. But I'm looking at the bigger picture. I'm looking at the 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 the, the philosophy at the football club, the, the 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 strategy of the game, the game plan, the patterns of play, the passages of play. I didn't see anything. No, the, I don't the coach know has what been terrible. Yeah, but forget I, that. Okay, I get that. But you, but you're giving these players a let off. You know, if, if they're they're not buying into Ralph Ranić's philosophy, they still have the ability to change the dynamics of a football match using their own qualities and they're not doing that 
Yeah, no, listen, I, I, I do get that. But if, you know, you've got 11, you've got 11 players on the pitch. If you've got three or four players that want to play this way, you've got four or five players that want to play that way, it is never going to work. And you can't get away with that in the Premier League. You might be able to do it in the League Two or League One and think, you know what, we've got good players. Just put them out there. They'll play and they'll, they'll work it out themselves. When you're playing against a team that are desperate, and I mean desperate for points after an absolutely shocking result at Turf Moor and coming into their stadium, there you have to be prepared. You have to have your due diligence. You have to have a game plan that everyone's buying into. Yeah. Manchester United, I've got none of that. Oh, and I did but, ask Ralph that question, you know, about how, what impact you, does he really think he's made since coming in? And he sort of said, well, initially I thought I made a good impact. I would stop conceding goals, but, you know, we don't score enough goals. I mean, even he couldn't even defend how they'd been since he'd taken over. They've actually got worse, I think, since they... Uh, mm-hmm. since he took over. Um, Norwich uh, played quite well, actually, in their game against Burnley. You did that game, Crook, didn't you? I mean, obviously, you had to do it from remote because you're not allowed in the city limits of Norwich. Uh, <laughs> but what do you think will happen at Old Trafford with, from them and their point of view? I think you know what you're going to get from Norwich. Um, they, they did play well, but Burnley allowed them to. Um, I think they're very limited in terms of ability. I think... Tamu Puki running in behind will be their biggest threat. They'll clearly try and service him. They actually played quite well, didn't they, in the game that you covered at Carra Road against Manchester United. They put a lot of pressure on that United defence. David De Gea had an outstanding game. So I would imagine they'll try and do something similar. But as I said, surely at Old Trafford United will have too much. I despair if they don't. No, 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 no. You're getting a different job if they don't. <laughs> and you're getting a haircut. <laughs> right, let's get to uh, the rest of the action of the weekend. Let's whiz round the games at Vicarage Road, the London Stadium and St James's Park. Let's start with Watford against Brentford. This is it really for them, isn't it? <laughs> Watford don't have many chances to revive their survival bid, but they, they surely have to identify this fixture, Trevor, as one they can win. Yeah, huge, huge game. Um, and if they've got any chances of staying in the Premier League, they need to win it. Um, so they'll be putting everything in, in the preparation to go into this game. They'll have a strategy um, not to concede, um, to be quite defensive and, and and build into the game. But on the break, they have got attacking players that can, can win you the game. So I expect a similar performance um, to that what we've seen many times from Roy Hodgson's side. But if they can be a little bit more clinical in the final third, um, they'll want to get this job done to pick up the three points. Yeah, in an attacking sense, uh, you know, when you talk about players who can hurt you on the break, Brentford are certainly that team, aren't they, with the talent that they've got now in abundance. And they've won four of their last five games in the Premier League to all but secure now uh, their place in the division next year. So they'll be here. So congratulations to them. We're looking forward to seeing them once more. And they've really added to the Premier League in terms of atmosphere and their, you know, their unique style of play, despite the fact that Crook at one stage was calling them the new Wimbledon. Um, I think this game will be quite interesting, won't it? Because no team have lost more games than than Watford in the Premier League this season, 21 of them. And that can become a bit of a habit, can't it? You can just sort of get used to losing. Yeah, and the home record is, is abysmal as well. So I think Brentford will go there in good heart. And uh, I think they'll have too much. They'll have too many weapons for this very poor uh, Watford side who deserve relegation. They've offered and added nothing really to the Premier League this season. Interesting to read that Newcastle possibly are looking at trying to prize Christian Eriksen away from the Brentford Community Stadium in the summer. That's a move that would make a lot of sense for me. He's shown his qualities uh, at Brentford. Newcastle would clearly be a step up for him. And I think he's a player that Eddie Howe could really build his team around. So keep an eye on that one. Okay. Um, do you want an interesting stat, Trevor, about Watford? Because I think you think, and a lot of people do think, in fact, people have said it to Roy Hodgson, he balked at it, uh, that they've got quite good attacking weapons, right? I think they've got, mm-hmm. they've got something going forward. Do you know they failed to score in four of their last six games? Well, it doesn't surprise me because you look at the position of the, of the team in the, in, in the league. Um, they have got good players in their areas, but obviously, you know, un, it's all right being in the middle of the table, having not too much pressure at this part of the time of the season mm-hmm. and going out there and, and, be, and playing freely. This is different. I've been down there. It takes different characters. It takes courage um, and it takes a lot of belief um, to be able to produce performances and score goals at, at, at this time of the season, especially when you're in that bottom three. So it doesn't surprise me because for for these for a lot of these players, they've never been in this position before. Um, but just going back to, to Brentford, I mean, how good is Ivan Tony? You know, we look at the goals that he scored and I, listen, I know he scored a few penalties, but 
that is only part of his game. He's a competitor. He's a leader. Uh, he's a link-up player. He's got a similar passing range. Not quite at the same standards, but similar passing range and style of football as Harry Kane. He fancies himself I, a bit. I, like I, I'm, all, I'm all for him being uh, looked at uh, by Gareth Southgate. Absolutely. What play for England? I think I think who, he's got to be in the else? conversation. Who else? Pardon? Who else? Who, who, who else should be looking at him in the summer? Should a, another big club? Arsenal. No big I club. Think, you know, we, no, but we, yeah, but we talked about Arsenal needing a number nine. <laughs> if they don't qualify for the Champions League, that they're not going to be able to maybe attract the type of player that they w- would have been hoping for. I think Ivan Tony would fit in perfectly the truth, there. The truth is, is that actually number nines, big strikers that hold and link the play up, are, are you know they're not ten a penny, are they? I mean, they're they're, they're very difficult to find. Rare, and he has obviously rare. done very well in the Premier League. And, and and listen, you know, he's got. I think he's got the personality, the persona. Oh, he definitely. You know, he's has. having himself. Oh, he's got massively. a lot of confidence, but not in a not in a flash no, way. No, no, he's no. On the pitch, I think he plays the game properly, but technically, he's very good. I think he he's got that air about him where you know what, if it becomes physical, he's going to win that battle. I think technically, when you talk about link up players who are reliable, they're not going to be flicking the ball here, flicking the ball there. I think he has got that little bit of guile. You know, he's got he's quite a cultured player. Mm. You know, I know he's had a different a, a different um, pathway to where he's at now and being a Premier League striker but I think all them experiences and you know all that difficulties and all that suffering while he's been getting to where he is now are boding very well for him now and he looks he actually looks a complete striker to me I wouldn't be surprised if and I think this has been sort of in the planning for a little while is if during the Nations League they look at him He's in the mm. squad for the nation. I hope they do because, you know, he might not be the most fashionable player. He might not be playing for the most fashionable club in the Premier League. But if you look at his numbers and you look at what, what he brings to that Brentford team, I think he's an outstanding candidate. Um, let's go to the West Ham-Burnley game because West Ham have shipped in eight of their last nine games. They've conceded goals. But we talked about uh, Watford being the team that have lost the most. The Clarets, Burnley, have won the fewest games Four in the Premier League. Now, they look to take advantage of West Ham's European labours uh, when they go to the London Stadium, but they fluffed their lines at Norwich at the weekend. They've won four of 30 Premier League games. They've scored 12 goals in their last 15 away games. Uh, they've got 25 goals in 30 matches all told this season. There's no way, is there, that you can survive with those sort of numbers? There shouldn't be. Um, and I feel like the Norwich game was a defining one in their season. They didn't turn up. Uh, they've also failed to win any of their last 16 matches that now in which they've conceded the first goal. So uh, that suggests they don't have um, maybe the character that you would associate with Burnley side and Sean Dyche teams of the past. The, the only saving grace, I think, when it comes to this game is obviously that West Ham had that trip to Leon on Thursday. That clearly is, is going to take its toll but with that dismal away record, it's still hard to, to make a case for Burnley winning the game. They might nick a point if they can seize on West Ham's tiredness. Um, Newcastle United are unbeaten in the league at St James's Park this year. It has got a little bit tricky for them over the last couple of weeks. And actually, they just about got over uh, their game against Wolverhampton Wanderers. They take on a Leicester team who, for whatever reason, seem to do very well against Newcastle. They've got an unbelievable record against the Magpies. They've won five of their last six meetings between uh, the two. Although maybe over the last couple of years, most people have beaten Newcastle United, if they're half decent anyway. So maybe that record isn't as impressive as it looks on paper. Um, 34 points for Newcastle. Leicester have 40, but they could sneak back into Europe if they won all of their games in hand. Now, that sounded crazy when we brought it up. I think, was it last Thursday or maybe on (coughs) Sunday? But actually, if you look at their fixtures, they've got Newcastle, then they've got Everton, then they've got Villa, they've got Spurs, they've got Everton, they've got Norwich, they've got Watford, they've got Chelsea, they've got Southampton. They've actually got quite a good chance of accumulating quite a few points, bearing in mind this is a team that have got to get used to winning again after having a tough first half of the season, Trevor. Yeah, they have had a really difficult time um, first half of the season, mainly through injuries and the players that came in weren't quite up to scratch. Um, But you also have to factor in that they're in the Europa Conference. They've got a game um, against PSV, which is going to, again, similar to West Ham, it's going to fatigue them. Um, so going into this game uh, on Sunday against Newcastle, who have been miles better than they were for the first half of the season under Eddie Howe, I think they'll be disappointed with the last couple of results and they'll, they'll want to do one over on, on Leicester. I think it's, going, it's an intriguing game. Uh, it's be interesting to see which way this is going to go. I think the fact that it's away again for Leicester um, after the PSV game, you know, that could come into play. Um, I wouldn't like to call this, but if I was going to, 
it probably I'd probably go Newcastle being being the, the favourites for this game just because of the amount of games that Leicester are having to play. Yeah, and Newcastle wanting to bounce back, and Newcastle have got like a, a the bit between their teeth. They got over the line against Wolverhampton yeah. Wanderers last Friday night, didn't they? With that penalty goal from Chris Wood, even though actually you know it was a it was a tiring game for them. They struggled in the three previous matches and narrowly were beaten in those matches. They've come back. They've dragged themselves into a position of safety. And the crowd up there, they will, they'll be reveling in it. They'll be absolutely yeah. reveling in the fact that the team are almost safe. And mathematically, they won't be. But, you know, if you get over 34 points in this division, let's say they get 37 at the weekend, that's pretty much definite safety, isn't it? Yeah, Eddie Howe will want 40. He's very much a, a 40-point manager. Uh, he'll be trotting that out, I'm sure. But it's a big end to the season for Newcastle because we expect them to be busy in the summer, although I'm still not convinced that the, the signings they make will maybe be of the headline Galactico nature that perhaps their fans were expecting when the takeover first happened because Eddie Howe isn't that type of manager. I don't think he wants to upset the harmony in the dressing room. But what it means is that the current squad are playing for their futures. So mm. people like uh, Almiron, uh, for example, who, who um, played a big part in the goal that wasn't given oh. last Friday night. He, he needs to prove that he can be part of the, of the furniture. There's, there's also talk that Alan Sam Maximam perhaps could be moved on. And we're talking about Ivan Tony in clubs that he could uh, maybe sign for this summer because he's got history at St. James's Park. Newcastle want a goal-scoring number nine. I wouldn't rule that out either. Yeah. That'd be an amazing story. You never know, but I'm not necessarily sure he'd fancy that. I think he's, uh, I think he's got his sights set elsewhere we'll see you never know um right but listen talking about sites set elsewhere i'm sure that crook's got to get to a pub somewhere because he hasn't been in one for at least a couple of hours uh trevor lovely to see you lovely to see you too guys uh, we're back on uh, monday morning when you wake up with all the, the reviews of the action from around the premier league and the fa cup make sure you tune in to talk sport this weekend because we've got it all we've got both fa cup semi-finals we've got two games from the premier league as well live and exclusive commentary at 12.30 of Tottenham against Brighton we've got another game from 3 o'clock on TalkSport 2 meanwhile at 3.30 we've got 3.30 remember it's 3.30 the FA Cup semi-final uh, Manchester City what time Liverpool. is it? 3.30 3.30 okay. the most ridiculous time ever for a football kickoff. it's never happened I mean 3 o'clock yes we get it 3.30 doesn't happen does it? Um, and then Sunday 4.30 it's uh, Chelsea against Crystal Palace uh, we'll see you Monday with Darren Lewis have a good weekend The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply.